you're listening to the Well Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's menstrual cycle educator, natural fertility coach, and daytime mermaid. This is a place where we discuss all things periods, poo, ovulation, fertility, and sex. Join me weekly as we rediscover our menstrual cycles, unlock its superpowers, and guide you back into your cyclical nature. You're listening to episode 182 of the Well Woman podcast with me, your host, Gemma Lee, and this is a solo episode. Now, do I sound refreshed? Do I sound refreshed? (laughs) I say that because if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, I've been traveling around the top end of Australia with my amazing partner, B, who joined me for an earlier episode, and we have been seeing some of the most amazing sights. Now, that has influenced this particular solo episode on how to live cyclically on the road, because, I mean, I just spent 95 days <laughs> literally sleeping in a tent every day, apart from a couple of little days here and there when we stayed in a bed, but mostly in a tent. And how do you do that cyclically? So this whole episode is going to be a little bit of an update about our trip, what we did, because I know a number of you are following along online and we're really interested in the places that we went and where we stayed and what we did. So I'm going to run through a little bit of a trip recap with you and some of the funny stories that happened. Um, I really was hoping B could join me and we could do a a joint episode again, but he had to go away for work as soon as we got home. (laughs) So it's just me on my own here. And I love this because this is Monday, the 5th of September that I'm recording this episode and it comes out on the 7th of September, which is also my bestie's birthday. Thanks, Ams. Love you. And um, I often don't record podcast episodes so close to the release date. Normally it's a few weeks ahead. So we've got time to edit and all that stuff. So I'm really excited. This is my first day home working in inverted brackets. I don't think what I do is work. I just love doing it. And um, I can't wait to share with you a little bit more about living cyclically on the road and how that is actually possible. So let's jump into it. Now to give you a bit of a background and a backstory to this trip thing, I grew up in a family of campers and we love camping. Like we go camping all the time. And for a long time, I've really dreamt about seeing different parts of Australia. I'd never been to Western Australia and for a little bit of landscaping for you all. So you can understand where I am is I live on the East coast of Australia in a state called Queensland. Oh, the Queensland. Um, And I live in a beautiful area called the Gold Coast. Very tropical, summery by the beach. And I love that. But there's so many other places in Australia that I had never been to that I was really craving to just experience and explore. And those were the top ends of Australia. So I went through the Kimberleys, the Kakadu area, Northern Territory, um, all this stuff. And I'm going to guide you through a little bit of the trip now. And B and I had, you know, been wanting to do a trip like this after I had Herbie, my van. If you followed along with that journey, thank you for being there throughout that experience of my life. And we upgraded my Herb, uh, my Herbie, <laughs> my VW transporter that I decked out as a camper um, to a rooftop tent um, with a full drive so that we could experience some full drive tracks. Um, this was a dream that had you know, been mine for a long time and B brought into it. And I loved that he did that. So we went and we planned three months off together. Now, just a bit of, um, you know, paraphrasing for this is that I have never, ever taken that much time off ever, like not even from school as a kid. Like I don't even ever think I've ever had that much time off doing anything apart from when I was a baby. 
you know, I'd been overseas a couple of times that were long trips, but not three months. And so this was a really great opportunity for me to experience as a business owner, what my business would be like not working and would it fall or flop or what would I come home to? Um, and so what we did is we rented out our house for three months and we packed everything up and off we went. And we, because we live in Queensland, we went from Queensland to Northern Territory, WA and Broome in WA, Western Australia was our turnaround point. And then we did the entire Savannah way home. Now the Savannah way is a very well-known rooted highway that goes from Broome to Cairns. So from the West Coast to the East Coast, of course, you can take the same road from the East Coast to the West Coast too. We just did it from the West Coast back home. And it took us across the top end of Australia, which was really, really beautiful. And we got to experience some beautiful Indigenous communities. We got to experience some really amazing national parks, some privately run station stays, a lot of corrugation. And if you don't know what corrugation is, that's where you're bouncing like a bunny rabbit or not even a bunny rabbit, like a maraca <laughs> in a car over the roads. Anyway, that was us for a long time. And we lived in a lot of red dirt. So that was our trip. But here's a little bit of an, an overview of what we did. We kicked off our trip with meeting my family, um, a couple of my siblings and their partner and, um, and a really good mate in Yapoon. Um, in Queensland, we went sailing for a few days. Then from there, we went into Queensland, inland a bit more, and we went to Carnarvon Gorge. And if you've never been to Carnarvon Gorge, Carnarvon is just spectacular. We spent three nights there, and you could easily spend five nights there exploring. We did all the hikes. Um, B and I love hiking. And because of that, we did a lot of hikes together. Um, in total, we did like 160-something kilometers of hiking in our trip. And a lot of that was quite hard, strenuous hikes, um, but Carnarvon's beautiful for that. And then we made our way through the center of Queensland. We stopped off and went to the Qantas Museum and where Qantas was started. If you don't know um, about that, I never knew that Qantas actually stands for Queensland and Northern Territory Air Service. How am I mid thirties and never known that? Um, and then we made our way to Lawn Hill, which was our second national, big national park we went to and we stayed three nights there. Lawn Hill is another very, very special place. It has beautiful turquoise blue water. I'm not kidding you. This is inland. This isn't on the beach. And um, there are freshwater crocs there, but you can still swim. Um, we did a lot of hiking, um, camping with no amenities. Um, so, you know, no camp kitchen or anything like that. And um, we did some kayaking through the gorges and experienced more Aboriginal Indigenous rock art, which was really beautiful to be welcomed into their space like that. And from there, we slowly made our journey into Northern Territory. And I say slowly because those roads are long and straight and there is nothing out there but just grass that blows in the wind. And this grass is more like looks more like grain than green grass because it's not green. That's for sure. And um, we then made our way to Catherine which is a beautiful little, um, I shouldn't say little, it's a quite a big hub um, in Northern Territory. And we went to the Catherine Gorge, the Nipmaluk National Park. We went to two places there, which we loved. Um, we then made our way up to Kakadu. Now, if you've never heard of Kakadu, you've got to search Kakadu. It's spelled K-A-K-A-D-U for umbrella. And um, we spent a whole week in Kakadu hiking, 
um, and swimming. Now there wasn't as many swimming spots open um, as what there normally is. And that's just because of the, the amount of water that was there and they have those sites closed um, until it's safe for hiking and swimming. Um, but we still had an amazing, amazing time. So that's definitely a national park you want to write down on your list if you live in Australia or you're visiting Oz. Uh, and then the next one we went to after we visited Darwin was Litchfield. And Litchfield is also spectacular. Talk about swimming. I literally felt like a mermaid. I was swimming every single day in these beautiful rock holes, waterfalls, swimming swimming holes. Um, Florence Falls has beautiful falls and then it's got a bunch of rock pools um, just up from Florence Falls, a little walk away. And um, we stayed there for a few nights and just loved that. So it's so beautiful up in the Northern Territory. Um, warm. Um, a lot of people are like, but what about the crocodiles? You need to be crockwise and there's signs and um, you know teachings about how to be crockwise everywhere, but you really just need to be careful of the saltwater crocs um, and all of the locations identified with you know safe swimming or not safe swimming and the national park rangers do an amazing job at identifying when places are safe to swim or not safe to swim. So if you're ever concerned about that, you know, they do a great job. Um, after we left Litchfield, we went back through Catherine and then we made our way towards Western Australia. Now, funny story here about living cyclically on the road. Um, you can't take fresh food into Western Australia. So if you've never ta- traveled into WA before, heads up. If you're driving, you can't take fresh food. So we had no fresh food. Um, we went to Lake Argyle, which is magnificent. It totally blew me away. I was like, big lake. Yeah. So what? Oh, I don't care. We don't have to go there. And it was stunning it you know we did this beautiful sunrise hike and it reminded me a lot of Africa when I was in Africa some of the landscape there it's so beautiful and Lake Argo was beautiful but we had no food so after that we went into Kununara which is quite a you know it's a town it's not big but it's a major town there and they had a supermarket and we had no food so we went straight to the supermarket and there was nothing in the store it was worse than COVID and I was just like you're kidding me because that was our last stop before we started the famous Gibb River Road. And the Gibb River Road is about 700 kilometers long and has no supermarkets on it. There's a couple of little petrol stations or fuel stations that maybe have a bag of tomatoes, but you know, and maybe some canned perishable food, non-perishable foods, but that was it. And so I walked into this supermarket in Kununurra and I was like, oh my God, we are going to die. I'm going to starve 14 days on the Gib and I can't see another supermarket for another 16 days. I'm like, what am I going to do? And that's just one of the joys of being on the road. You need to think on your feet and um, control your emotions, which is what I did. Um, And we waited till the following day when a delivery had arrived of fresh produce and we went in and I I felt like... (laughs) you know, someone really defending their dance space on the dance floor with their elbows out as I was walking through the fresh produce section, getting all the things that I needed (laughs) or we needed for our food and our meals. Um, So you just, this trip has really taught me a lot about, you know, the graciousness of food and the supply of food and how I'm very fortunate that where I live, there's always food around and I never have to be hungry or go hungry. So after this little stop at Kununurra, we went to start the Gibb River and we went to El Cuestro, which is an amazing place. We went horse riding, went driving, obviously a corrugation, so down dirt roads and um, hiking. And we went through this beautiful hike called El Cuestro Gorge, which is dead set a grade five. It's marked as a grade five hike, but it was hard. 
you know, <laughs> you have to wade through chest high water and I'm tall. I'm six foot. It's very high water. And then climb up on these massive boulders that make you feel like you're rock climbing. And I'm not a rock climber. And you walk all the way up, 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 and it's an incline on rocks. And you've got to try to find the marker to get this beautiful little crack in the wall where water flows through and there's a pond at the top or, you know, a swimming hole. And it's stunning. And then on the way home, all the way back, I slipped and I bruised my tailbone, which was fun because the following day we went horse riding. I was like, oh, my God, you're kidding, Gemma. How did you do this? Anyway, um, Elquestro was very memorable and we had a beautiful stay there. And I definitely recommend checking out Elquestro. You know, we stopped at a few different stations, Ellenbray, Drysdale. We went up to Mitchell Plateau um, and the beautiful falls up there at Mitchell Falls and Little Merton and Big Merton Falls. Stunning. A very, very rough road to get there. You know, we're talking like 80 kilometers was taking us like three hours. So it's really rough um, and you need to have the right equipment to get there. That's for sure. But beautiful and untouched. Not many people get to go there and it's just stunning. Um, after that, we slowly made our journey back to Broome before we discovered that our roof rack bracket had broken on the corrugation and we had to get that fixed. So um, we had to DIY fix that quickly in the gib and um, and headed off to Broome to get some um, custom brackets made at a steel fabrication place, which was great. And whilst that was happening, Brenton and I flew in a seaplane to the Horizontal Falls. Now, if you don't know what the Horizontal Falls are, Google Horizontal Falls. They look amazing, stunning. When we got there, the tide was low and there was no falls. <laughs> so um, we had a great experience on the seaplane. It's so great to see that vast land from the sky. Um, and we sat on the boat out there with the, um, I think it's called Horizontal Adventures or Horizontal Seaplane Adventures, the company is. I don't have credits for this, by the way. Um, but yeah, really beautiful experience that was. Um, and then we just hung out in Broome. We went north through Cape Levesque, which I loved. That would be one of my top places um, on the whole trip that I loved. And we had a beautiful time sleeping on the red dirt and red sand overlooking the beaches. And that was our turnaround point. Broome was our turnaround. And then we slowly started making our way back. We had about four weeks to get home and we started making our way back across the Savannah Way and went to the Bungle Bungles. Um, now, Brandon has this thing when we travel. He likes to do all the things. He's I wouldn't call him an adrenaline junkie, but he loves to do the things. So we'd already been on a seaplane. We'd been on a boat to see the crocodiles. We'd been horse riding. He's like, we have to go in a helicopter and we have to skydive and blah, blah, blah. So that's the place where we organized to go on helicopter ride for 30 minutes. And it was the best place to helicopter. You know, this, the Bungle Bungles is so diverse. And I think um, my mum's always said that's her favorite national park. And I could agree. It's pretty freaking good. Um, lots of hiking, very hot, hot hiking. They actually have an overnight hike up to a special gorge that I would love to do um, when we go back next. We didn't have an overnight hiking tent, so we'll have to do that another time. But yes, yeah, stunning. And then we slowly made our way through NT and we went swimming at Mataranka Hot Springs and Bitter Springs Hot Springs before we made our way into the Lemon National Park. Now, I hadn't known anyone who'd been to the Lemon National Park, but very similar to the Gibb River Road, different landscape to the Kimberleys on the Gibb River Road, but very, very similar kind of road structure, very corrugated and rough. And um, on my Instagram stories, I asked during the trip, you know, who let, who in a couple, when you go away, shares the driving, you know, I always have found a lot 
you know, most of the time the men just do the driving in heterosexual relationships. But, you know, B and I really share the driving a lot, even on the really hard, full driving tracks. You know, I had a big old crack at some of them and um, yeah, he was more than happy to let me drive sometimes, which is really nice. And I had a great, a great experience in learning how to, you know, drive and experience those roads as a driver. Um, even though sometimes I was extremely stressed about it, <laughs> um, but it was a really good experience. And that's where we visited Lorella Springs, which is a 1 million acre property. And this property has so many swimming holes, but unfortunately for us, the time of year that we went and the dry, the wet season they had was quite dry. So they didn't get a lot of rain in their wet season. So there wasn't a lot of water flowing in these swimming holes. So we stayed a couple of nights there and we know we'll come back with family probably. Um, and then we made our way across to the East Coast. Now, we'd never been to the Gulf of Carpentaria. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's the big gulf that sits between Queensland and Northern Territory. So we had a beautiful one night stay and ate fish and chips on, you know, at sunset, watching the sun set over the water at the Gulf, which was really great. Kids running around on the beach down there, but lots of crocs. I don't know how parents like kids do that anyway. Um, and then we made our way across to the East Coast where we found ourselves in the Atherton Tablelands and we went waterfall searching. We saw like six or seven waterfalls in a day, which was amazing. And we stopped at Mission Beach and drip fed our way all the way down through Townsville, down the coastline. And we finished our trip with an amazing five days on Fraser Island. Now, if you've been following along with my journey for on Instagram for years, you'll know that I've been to Fraser a lot lately. Um, I, I, you know, I went last year, went this year. Um, we go there often and Fraser Island is the largest sand island on the world. And B had never been there. And I was like, well, what better place to finish the trip than on Fraser Island. And um, yeah, we had a great experience camping on the beach there, driving across and experiencing sand driving, um, different types of sand to what we were driving in, in middle of, you know, northern Queensland and northern NT and northern WA. And um, just a beautiful experience. And I think the thing that I'm walking away with from this trip is just how great it is to have space and how great it is to connect with people and how life is so short do the thing you know life is short do the thing and I'm really grateful for my assistant Mina thanks Mina um, who helped me a lot whilst I was away she managed my emails and you know because there was no service oh my god reception is terrible across the northern parts of Australia and for people who live up there, I don't know how you do it, especially if you run an online business, um, unless you live in a city. But even Broome was just terrible internet service um, because there's so many people there using it, traveling. Um, but that was one of the, the the big challenges for me was I was able to fully let go and just let Mina help. Um, normally I do everything on my own. So that was really great. And that really supported me in my cycle. I had a full three cycles on the trip full three bleeds, full three ovulations. We saw three new moons, three full moons. And I really loved being outside in nature and experiencing every night getting a little bit darker and then every night getting a little bit brighter with the transition of the moons. And it really was a beautiful, beautiful lesson sleeping under the stars every night for 95 days. You know, we slept on a boat once and we slept in a bed once in Darwin and we slept on a sailing boat, which was still under the stars. Um, so really it was only a couple of nights that we actually slept in a place that was you know, a room and sleeping outside just teaches you so much about 
yourself, your body, your body clock. You know, Brendan was just saying to me yesterday, he's like, oh, I really miss eating dinner earlier. You know, when the sun goes down, you know, we'd be making dinner at 5.36 o'clock and at home we're making dinner at like 6.37. So I think being outside is a great lesson. And if anyone ever gets the opportunity to do that for you know at least two months, you'll really start to feel the essence of the full cyclical cycle of the moon. So let's jump into the topic about how to live cyclically on the road, because sometimes people really struggle to live cyclically at home. But then when traveling comes, it's like, well, I just eat all the things and I drink all the drinks. And how do I do all of that? So I popped over on my Instagram a couple of um, question boxes and people sending a few questions. So I'd love to answer those questions for you. And then I'll share with you the tips to living cyclically and how you can do that and how I did that myself on the road. So the first question is, how do I store prep and shop for food while on the road? Oh, this is such a great question. And I think the more camping experience you have, if you're a camper or the more traveling experience you have, the better you get at this. So in our car, we have in our full drive, that is, we have a 95 liter fridge and we have two big storage containers that we use as food or storage, food storage. So we would have dry food and then we'd have cold food and then we'd have fresh produce. Now, for me personally, this is just a bit of a background. I choose to eat gluten-free, have for over two decades now, and dairy-free and ideally meat-free. Now, that's not because I don't like meat and I'm not a vegan. I just, my body doesn't digest red meat very, very well, but I do like seafood. So when we're shopping on the road, we were really looking for mostly fresh produce. Now, when you're shopping and you don't have um, access to fresh food all the time and you need to you know, purchase food that lasts two weeks or will last you two weeks, and you've only got 95 liters of fridge space, you need to become really savvy. So for us, we'd, I'd love to buy like big pineapples and rock melons when I could. Um, oh, I brought a papaya. This is reminding me. I brought a papaya when I was staying at Catherine just before we crossed the border into WA. It was a fresh papaya and it was like one or two days off from being ripe and it got totally confiscated at the border and I was so sad. Oh, so sad. Um, I hate letting food go to waste like that, especially when it's good, fresh, homegrown produce. So cut it all up, prep it. We'd have pop storage um, containers. So silicon pop storage um, containers would be in the fridge with food. And we would basically prep as we went. So we made our own meals every single day. We didn't pre-make meals and then have that for three nights. Um, it's just much easier to cook as you go. Something that I uh, chose to do on the road, which I don't do at home, is eat more canned food. So, for example, canned tomatoes, canned lentils. A couple of times I had canned tuna and canned salmon. That's not something that I do at home. But when you are 14 days away from a supermarket, um, you need to really be food savvy. Um, And so what I did was I loved making a gluten-free wrap. I buy these wraps that are called B-free, the gluten-free dairy-free, vegan, great ingredients in them, no added, you know, no preservatives, no numbers, no nothing, which is good. And I'd put lettuce in and, you know, mushroom and tomato and cucumber and red onion. And I'd put a little bit of like vegan mayo and salt and pepper. And then I'd put, um, I'd make up some falafels. So dry falafel mix is a great thing um, if you like falafels to make little falafel balls. You can also buy falafel balls pre-made and you warm them up, which was good. Um, 
And for breakfast, one of my go-to breakfasts on the road was soaked chia seeds with fresh fruit. So it'd be like a banana and strawberries with some coconut yogurt. Um, Really easy to make that on the road and eat that while we're driving. Um, But also when it comes to living cyclically with food is you need to eat in tune with each phase of your cycle. So the number one thing that's very helpful for living cyclically on the road is to track your cycle. With tracking your cycle, you need to be able to communicate that with the people that you're with. So B always knows where I am in my cycle. Like if I called him up right now and it's like, hey, babe, what day of my cycle am I on? He might not be able to tell me the exact day, but he'd be like, oh, you ovulated about, you know, a week ago. So you're probably like a week away from menstruating. So he's pretty clued on without, you know, needing to know the exact day. So he knows what phase I'm in. And that's the most important part. So the people you're with, them knowing what phase of your cycle you're in is important. Are you in inner winter, menstruation, spring, summer, autumn? And then planning your food around where you are in your cycle. So what B and I did is we wrote a whole list. And I had this down from when we did, you know, with our previous road trips. So we have a whole list of meals we like to make on the road. Some of these meals we don't make at home. I actually like to look forward to making these on the road. So I have a whole list of those. And then we just choose which meals suit best in my inner winter when I'm menstruating, which meals are best through my autumn to help me with those hunger cravings or those extra food, you know, requirements that I'm uh, desiring in my inner autumn. So as an example, we like, I loved anyway, making gnocchi. Oh, such a good meal for like your inner autumn, inner winter time. I started to make gnocchi the first day of my menstruation. So whenever my menstruation came, we always had two packets of gnocchi ready to go, a bag of mushrooms, and we had a pesto that we'd, you know, we we would work in. Um, FYI, Woolworths in Australia, their vegan macro dips are actually really good. So we would use that, that pesto dip as a sauce in the gnocchi. And that was my celebration for the day one of my bleed and Brenton would always say, oh, can we have the knocky tonight? I'm like, no, we're saving that. He's like, oh, that's right for your bleed. So living cyclically on the road with your food is so important because it gives you something to look forward to. Um, but yeah, nachos, definitely an inner autumn meal for us. Um, we love doing like B would make um, like some, he'd cook some meat and we'd have a salad and I'd do some little roasted uh, or grilled potatoes. Um, we'd make patties like frittatas and have salad so we did all of the fresh fresh meals we did around springtime or sometimes if we weren't going to be around a supermarket for like 10 days we'd have to use that fresh produce first so sometimes we just have to use that up first but I always wanted to like get fresh lettuce and fresh rocket and spinach and it wilts so we always made sure we use those first so there's a few little tips for you around food um, storage is just so important to make sure that you're storing things really, really well. Lettuces, I would always wrap them in a paper towel so that they wouldn't go all yucky. I lined the fridge with tea towels so that it wouldn't freeze or over, you know, ruin any of the food produce that was in there because there was a lot of food in the fridge. Um, yeah, lots of really great tips around food. So I hope that answers your question. Um, next question um, was about menstrual cycle. Like, how do you clean your menstrual cup? Do you use a menstrual cup? How do you maintain proper hygiene while on the road? So let's talk about menstruating on the road. Oh, gosh, there was a couple of times when I was menstruating in literally the bush. And 
Brenton had to had to stop on the side of the road to take my cup out to fill it with water and I'm squatting holding toilet paper holding my cup I couldn't also hold my bottle and I didn't want to put it in the red dirt because it just stains everything so Brenton came with me while we stopped on the side of the road whilst I took my cup out he handed me my water bottle so I could put some water in it and I could rinse it and plant it you know by a tree that was close by and then I could fully rinse it out and then I could reinsert it So one of the best things you can do when you're traveling is to use a menstrual cup with reusable underwear and reusable pads. I took all three of these with me. Cups are really great and easy to clean. You can soak them and then also boil them in some hot water. I did that a few times. So I could use the cup and at the end of my bleed, I would just boil it in the water before my next bleed began or was coming close to beginning. Um, I would boil my cup again, ready for use. So that's a great way to maintain proper hygiene there. With my menstrual underwear, every morning, I like sleeping in my menstrual underwear. I would wake up, I'd take off my briefs, I would go to the bathroom and I would rinse them out. Now, if I didn't have a bathroom, we actually have a water storage tank in our car, which holds about 50 liters or is 50 liters with a tap on it with a hose and a tap. So I would use that water to rinse out my undies and, you know, wring them out. And then I would leave them in the sun to dry. So the sun is very antibacterial, like the rays from the sun. So anytime you use period underwear, always dry them in the sun. Don't put them in the dryer. Do not put your undies in the dryer, put them out in the sun. Um, Even if you live in (laughs) like freezing weather, put them out in the sun or by a window in the sun. Um, So they're the main rays that I really remained good or was able to keep good hygiene whilst I was traveling on the on the road. So when you're menstruating, you need to pick something that really benefits you. For example, when you're traveling and you're doing a bush wee and you're menstruating and you need to change your tampon, there's often nowhere to really put your tampon unless you're putting it in the car because you don't want to you know, waste, like leave waste around and contribute to the rubbish challenge. So um, pads, reusable pads are great for that and or cups. I would always use a cup and then period underwear. Now, the next thing when it comes to like supporting your menstruation whilst you're on the road is we're traveling. So like we've only got two days at this particular place and there's two big hikes. Like what day are we going to do the hike? is I would always make that a conversation with B and I. Okay, so today's day two of my bleed. I'm not really feeling up to doing this massive long hike. Can we just do this shorter hike first? And then we'll do the bigger hike tomorrow on day three where I'll feel a little bit more up to it. So I didn't want to miss out on anything, but I always chose what I was doing based on the environment that I was in and my body's ability. So don't push yourself. We would just go slow he wouldn't walk as fast or hike as fast and I would always on those days ask be like do you mind making dinner tonight or can you wash the dishes whilst I get to bed early or you know just doing those little things is always really good and super supportive so there's some really simple ways you can support your menstruation on the road now a lot of um a lot of people ask the question around like well how do I deal with the period whilst I'm traveling is I don't really see my menstruation as something I have to deal with. Um, Menstruation is just my life. You know, as a female, I menstruate and that's okay. I don't really feel like I had to deal with it as such. And I think that if that's your mindset, shifting your mindset a little bit to be like, oh, wow, this is such a beautiful gift. How can I honor this? And 
being able to do that whilst you're camping is so special, you know, to be able to menstruate and be outside in nature and connect with the moon and see where the moon is in its phase where you're menstruating and how does that align and all of those things is really, really beautiful. And to allow, you know, being out on the road is so beautiful to just completely allow where you are in your cycle and then also allow your cycle to take as long as it needs to take. You know, so over the three cycles, my first cycle was 29 days long. My next cycle was 30 days long. And then my following cycle was 27 days long. And I can see all of that based on when I ov- um, when I ovulated. So I can see the first cycle, which was my, what was it? My 29 day long cycle. I actually ovulated on day 16 of my cycle. Then the 30 day cycle that I had, I actually ovulated on, and I'm just looking at this right now. I ovulated on day 14. And then my previous cycle um, before the one that I'm in now is 27 days long. And I ovulated on day 13 of my cycle. So things are always shifting and changing. And I think the best way to be able to support your body whilst you're on the road is to track your cycle. So I had a written tracker and I was able to keep, you know, adding into my tracker every single day about how I felt and what was going on. And it helps me remember because I was so much going on every day, you know, and we, sh- we did so much stuff in, you know, three months. There's like, oh, what day was that? I can't remember. And so it's really easy to be able to flick back to your cycle tracker and be like, oh, that's right. On this day last month, I was really stressed. Oh, that's right. Because I had no food <laughs> and they took it all at the border or whatever it was. There's always a really great um, chance to look back when you have a cycle tracker that's written in front of you. And it also helps stay offline, you know, get off your phone, detox, don't be online and having your phone with you all the time. And I, it's probably one of the things I love the most is being, you know, out in the bush, there is no reception, you know, and there's no reception for like two weeks. And so your phone's just constantly on airplane mode and that's it. So having that opportunity to connect pen to paper and really dive deeper into your own natural feelings of your body is really beautiful. So to summarize, when it comes to living cyclically on the road cyclical living is all about allowing yourself to live in consistent change and evolvement right so no one thing is static or the same so we're always going through the seasons of the year cyclically and so in our cycle the goal is that we want to live cyclically in that cyclical nature so we move from menstruation to follicular and spring to ovulation and summer to autumn and luteal phase right back to menstruation again and we're constantly just evolving through this beautiful birth life death rebirth cycle so the number one thing that you can you can do to live cyclically on the road is to eat cyclically that's you're already eating anyway so just eat cyclically I teach all about how to do that in more depth inside the Well Women Academy. I have cooking classes um, and recipes and everything on specific foods for each phase of your cycle. So eat cyclically. The next one is your activities. Choose your activities based on where you are in your cycle. So, you know, there was one day Brenton wanted to go. (laughs) Oh, he wanted to go and do this like big, crazy, um, like rope swing thing. It's like this, it's called the Grotto, which is just outside of Kununara. And he wanted to go do this long hike. It's like a hundred and something stairs. And then you got it. And I was like, 
yeah, I could do this today. It's my spring. I'm definitely down for that. But then other days when I didn't feel so confident because I was premenstrual and I'm like, look, just don't irritate me today because I will punch you in the face. <laughs> you know, I was able to communicate, look, I'm not up for that today. That's just not for me. So choose your activities based on where you are in your cycle. Now, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes you're in this national park and you're only there for two days. Choose how you act in those activities. Yeah. So if you have to do this 10K hike to get to this thing that you want to see that you've been dreaming about going to for years and you happen to be there on day two of your bleed, you know, still go, but give yourself the space and the time. Pack your lunch, have a get there and just soak it all up. There's always another reason and meaning to why something happens on a particular day for you. Um, and the alignment is perfect. I always think that like my period arrives at the perfect time and my life happens at the perfect space and time with my period or with my cycle. So choose the activities to really support that. Number three is you need to communicate your cycle. So you need to be able to not just think, oh, I really just want to eat pasta tonight because I'm so craving carbs. Don't think that to yourself. Communicate that. Work on vocalizing where you are in your cycle with people around you. So if you're traveling with yourself, awesome. You can vocalize this with yourself. If you're traveling with a bestie or a partner in a group of two, communicate that. Hey, look, I'm just letting you know, I'm actually feeling really irritated at the moment. I'm premenstrual and I'm just going to be probably more quiet over the next few days. Just wanted to give you the heads up. Let people know, communicate that. Now, if you're in a family, you've got three kids and you're on the road, (laughs) um, make sure you communicate that with your partner and that you communicate that in a way that you're able to with the kids saying, Hey, look, mommy just needs a little break today. Daddy's going to make dinner or the other mommy's going to make dinner, whatever it is for you. And in the dynamic of your um, community that you're traveling with, communication is key because often that whole saying about women being snappy and then the opposite sex saying, Oh, is it because you're on your period? A lot of that can come from not communicating. So we can alleviate all of that by learning to communicate more and in depth around where we are in our cycle, owning where we are in our cycle, owning our feelings and then sharing them. So that's number three is communication. Number four is cycle love. Love your cycle. Embrace different elements of your cycle. Create little cycle rituals. Like for example, me having gnocchi, pesto, mushroom, olive gnocchi on the first day of my bleed. Um, Brenton always made me my special cacao in my menstrual and pre-menstrual time. I traveled with ceremonial, ceremonial grade cacao. Didn't use it every day, only in those times. Electing when you get out of bed, maybe you're sleeping in a little bit more. Maybe you're going to bed a little bit later. Maybe you want to watch movie. Maybe you're pre-ment, sorry, pre-ovulatory and you're in that late in the spring and you want to be playful and you know, you're joking around and you want to go more adventuring and communicating with lots of different people that you're meeting on the road, you know, communicate that and enjoy that little ritual of loving your cycle in that way. There's so many different ways we can love our cycle and tune into the elements of each phase of our cycle. It's just finding what works for you and what you really like to do. And then number five is to track together. So tracking your cycle is really important, but then tracking it with the people that you're with. So what that means, the easiest way to start this is by leaving your cycle tracker out. Like B could see my cycle tracker every day. He knew exactly where it was. Um, It was very visible in the car. 
um, trying to not crease or crush all of the paper <laughs> was another story that was very hard to do, but, um, you know, communicate that and track together, like asking the person who you're with, who's menstruating, Hey, how are you feeling today? What day of your cycle are you on? How are you checking in? You know, even though men, um, men don't menstruate, they still can live cyclically from day to day and they have different feelings and emotions too. track with them. Hey, I'm checking in. How are you feeling today? You know, for 95 days, B and I were in each other's space every single day. And there was only one day that we weren't together and it wasn't the whole day, but it was most of the day. And that's because he left, <laughs> he left our computers and, and iPads and all of our electronic stuff is in a backpack that we left in, in a safe in an office of a place we stayed while we went overnight to horizontal falls. And we didn't realize till we got to our next destination, which was 250 kilometers away. And we were like, maybe we should watch a movie tonight. And I was like, oh shit. We both looked at each other like the iPad. And um, yeah, it was a way away. So we spent that day apart, but every other day we're together in a lot of close confined space in one vehicle, sleeping in one rooftop tent. So it means that, Hey, I need to change. Just checking in. How are you doing today? How are you feeling today? I can see something's up. What's going, you know, What's going on with you right now? Checking in and tracking together is so important. And that actually forms a closer, tight-knit relationship. And if you start asking those questions, those people may very well start asking those questions back to you. And that can be super supportive for you and your body and your cycle. Oh, so that's it. That's that's a that's a cap on how to live cyclically on the road. So the five little steps were eat cyclically. So eat in tune with each phase of your cycle. Choose activities. Number two, choose activities that support where you are and support your body. Number three is communicate. Communicate, own and vocalize where you are in your cycle, how you're feeling, how you're checking in and share that with those around you. Number four is cycle love, like tapping into the things you love in each area and stage of your cycle and doing those more. And number five is tracking together. You take responsibility for tracking and then bring that tracking into the dynamic of the people that you're with so that we can openly experience and communicate with everyone together. So that's it. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode. Next week, we jump right back into guest episodes on the podcast and we're kicking it off with episode 183, IUDs, what you need to know with the beautiful Chloe Skrillac. So I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning into every episode of the Well Woman podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. If this episode excited you, please hit follow on Spotify, which means all of my episodes will pop up in your feed weekly so you never miss a weekly drop. I'd love you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts too. Love this episode? Come and follow me over on Instagram at wellsome underscore Gemily. Say hi and share what you've taken away from this episode with me. Now, is there a bestie, sister, or a friend who you know who might be fed up, frustrated, and confused with their cycles? Are they ready to join you in awakening their cyclical essence too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your socials, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to them. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our cycles. Now, until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.